Well, good morning. My name is Rick Pearson, and I'm not one of the pastors around here. <laughs> I am uh, very honored to be a part of this wonderful church body for almost 16 years. And uh, I'm reminded of the incredible, incredible responsibility it is to interpret the Word of God. We have some great people here that do that. The pastors, the elders, Ryan, phenomenal job two weeks ago. And I have to follow that. I have no credentials. I've not been to Bible school. I don't have a degree in theological seminary, from a theological seminary. My only credential is I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so I want us, because it has been so real to me. Very important that you do that authentically and clearly. That is my role. It's also very important that you stay within the time frame. <laughs> Incredibly important. <laughs> years and years and years ago, I was told, you know, if they give you 20 minutes, you take 20 minutes. If, you take, if they give you 45, you take 45. If you give an hour, you take an hour. I was at one of those churches subbing for a pastor who was on vacation. That's in the state of Iowa. And I was about two-thirds of the way done. This guy in the front row has a huge sigh. <sighs> Stands up and starts walking out. I said, sir, are you okay? Where are you going? He stops, turns around, he said, I'm fine. I'm just going to get a haircut. I said, sir, with all due respect, couldn't you got a haircut before you came in this morning? He said, I didn't need a haircut before I came in this morning. <laughs> That's just a lie. I just a good story I wanted to tell. <laughs> uh, let's pray before I fail as a comedian. <laughs> Father God, this scripture is so real. And I pray that I will do my very best to accentuate what you want for our lives. Father, take me out of this equation. Just make it about you and these precious people who you brought here this morning. I love them. I need them in my life, and I'm so grateful that we get to dive in to something that you have inspired to make a difference in our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen. There are four people I want, you to, I want to be introduced to you today. All are part of my life. None of them are from Wisconsin, so don't try to figure out who they are. You don't know any of them. One of them is named Tess, who has served with her husband as foster parents for years and years yearning to have a son of their own. Miscarriages, tragic stillbirth, left her weak and sad and hurt. Her emotions, her rejection and fear have overcome her, but she works so hard to praise her God and serve her Jesus, even when she just doesn't understand. She recently wrote, Some days my empty arms take me to my knees, and that's okay. As long as I get back up and remember how blessed I am to have Jesus Christ in my life. Rich, has a son who has a severe kidney issue. In fact, he's, his son is nine years old. He's been admitted to the hospital over 17 times, most of those days, more than three days. His son can't participate in the activities a common nine-year-old can, but Rich and his wife have been a great role models because they remind their college fellowship group, which they start and have many, many, many kids on Tuesday nights in their home, that God is good. May. 
May put her husband through medical school by working full-time and raising three sons. The family of five move all from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast so her husband could finish his residency. Upon graduation from medical school, her husband announced that he was in love with the female hospital CEO where he did his residency, and he filed for divorce the next day. May stayed true to her God, made sure her boys knew how much she loved her Creator and her Savior. Tim is a speaker who I've had the opportunity to get to know very well over the last five years. He has received the news lately, about a year ago, that he has stage four cancer. When the oncologist gave him the tragic news, Tim told that man that God would use him to speak through his condition and his impact on God's kingdom here on earth to expand it. I was created to reflect my God and my Savior, and cancer will give me a platform to share that reflection. I chose those people because no one outside Michelle knows them. But I do know some people in this fellowship that have major physical pain and medical issues. People have lost loved ones prematurely. People have had their spouse file for divorce. People who have kids that are physically, mentally, emotionally challenging, and people in this room who struggle with extreme pain from broken dreams. My prayer, and my prayer daily for the last two months, is that today you'll find some hope. In this message, whatever I say, I pray that it will not just take through your ears, but into your heart. With a new perspective, a new trust, a new desire, that when you read your Bible, this particular passage will become alive this week as you reflect it. It certainly has for me. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you yourselves will be not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at, right at the door. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. You count those blessed and in, who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. You have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, and the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear. Either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Paraphrase this morning, James is urging us as brothers and sisters, Christians, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, not to fight back, rather to be patient with others who try to assault us. He also pleads with us. He understands the pain. He understands that the struggles of life will confront us. He so strongly wants us to communicate that because he resorts to repeating himself. Four times in that scripture, he uses the word patience. Another two times, it depends what, uh, what version you have. Endurance is used in American Standard, steadfastness in Revised Standard, and perseverance in the NIV, both, all of them two times. It is our patient endurance, our patient perseverance during life's difficulties and disappointments that will be my focus this morning. First is suffering, verses 10 through 11. Suffering means to bear hardship, to suffer misfortune, to be enduring of affliction and pain and pressure. 
He's telling us, James is, that, that suffering was a characteristic of the Old Testament prophets. We forget that. They were spokespeople for God, the voice of God in the Old Testament. God's most imminent servants went through very, very difficult times. I needed to see that. They were not exempt from tragedy, and although God honored them by allowing them to be a spokesperson, they did not escape difficulty. Look at this incredible piece of scripture. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Very important. The world was not worthy. Wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. And all these, through, commended through their, they were commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, apart from us, they should be made perfect. The world was not worthy of them. Now, if I had to title this suffering, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Would not pack the Sunday services, would it? The text is so real. Events around us, people's conversations, somebody, somebody here now, most of us dealing with suffering. Because believers in Jesus Christ get cancer. They're involved in automobile accidents. They're fired from jobs. They have stillbirths. They're laid off from jobs. They watch their parents die of painful diseases and too many more sufferings to mention. It's real. And there's no place we can go without it. Elijah, Daniel, Esther, so many prophets that I could tell stories every single Sunday about. Today I'd like to hone in on Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? What I've learned is for 40 years, 40 years, he preached repentance and not one convert. I say, peace out. If I don't have one convert in 40 years, I'm figuring out a new vocation. He was mocked, he was put in stocks, he was put in prison, rejected, he was lowered into a muddy cistern and left to die, but he was patient. He was a witness. And I truly believe the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Let me say that again. Where the will of God will never lead you, that's a place the grace of God cannot keep you. There is no place you can go in this earth to escape suffering. And that brings me to tears when I think of some of your lives as I've walked through over the last 15 years with you. Patience. First of all, suffering. Second of all, patience. I'm going to go back, sorry. There we go. Patience. Therefore be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the Lord. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. When I need patience, I'm the most impatient. How about you? The difficulty lies in being patient. Sometimes being patient is difficult in itself. We have, and, and it's rightly so, look at our lives. We have fast computers, 5G phones, quick oil changes, fast food, microwaves. Society is telling us we want to be raw, immediate right? Don't be patient. Patient comes from two Greek words, makros and thumas. Thumas is what we get, thermometer. Makros is far away from, and thumas is temper, like temperature. So literally, patience means as far away from your temper. Show me somebody that has a horrible temper, 
I'll show you somebody that's not patient, right? I'm quite confident many of us, myself included, struggle with this. An increased amount of anger, a frequent temper will produce an ulcer, restrict you from good sleep, create angina and other heart issues, and so many more. There's nothing more magical about the early rains than the late rains. In that area of the world, early rains was in October, late rains were in like March or April. A farmer puts in a, in a seed, rain comes and germinates it, they step back and they wait and trust with patience that that seed will grow, right? The end rain will assure that there'll be a good harvest. Farmers are patient. They don't dig up the, the, the seed every week just to make sure it's growing. They don't transplant it and put it someplace else where the other ones are growing better. They put it in and they trust. They have patience. The farmer trusts the harvest will be the end product will be worth the wait. See, the day you plant the seed is never the day you enjoy that same fruit. You have to watch the maturity. And James's point to us as who are Christians is that Christ will return to this earth as king and judge. Listen to this. According to many theologians, his return, his second coming, is referenced 1,845 times in the Bible. The second coming is mentioned 23 out of 27 New Testament books. There are 318 references to the second coming just in the New Testament. His second coming is mentioned eight times more than his advent birth. Jesus himself referenced his return 21 times in the gospel alone. Everything will make sense, it says, when he comes back. And we forget that. He's reminding us that our hope is in the coming of the Lord. That second coming is near, it says. We need to be the reminders, times, in Scripture that the finished product is going to look like. Let me give you a great analogy. I'm proud to work for CUNA Mutual Group, have for the last 22 years. That's what moved us here. And I used to teach class in the circular building, uh, thousands of people over the course of my career. And they tore it down, doggone it. And it's so inconvenient, so yucky. You know, you got, you got the dust everywhere, you got detours, you got cement trucks everywhere, all these contractors taking my parking places. <laughs> I really didn't like it. But you know what they do? Look at this. They put this little, little, little um, picture of what the finished product is going to look like. Marketing people do that. If you're marketing people, this is good. This is really good. So that every day when I go to work, I'm reminded of all the yuck, but then I see the picture of the finished product. Even they have little people in it, you know, with the nice flowers and the, and the plants and the trees. Well, it's a reminder that there's a work in progress. There's a foundation that's being built. And you have to understand that there's a finished product coming in our lives too. That's where the scriptures come in. This is a beautiful building today. I'll be able to, I'll, I think I have the first class there in uh, September, which I'm super, super excited about. But it, if it wasn't for that reminder every day, the inconvenience, the yuck, would overcome me. I think it's a great, great analogy. We have to understand that his return will see the com 
completed project. We have to yearn for that. That's where the scriptures come in. That reminds us all the time, 1,800 times in the Bible. That's the finished product. Despite suffering and patience. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond? You see, when changes in your perspective make changes in your behavior. When you look at the way you look at things, the things you look at change. It's called perspective. We use this a lot over the course of our James theory or our James study. But I think there's no better story about perspective than this. A number of years ago, there was a girl that did something pretty interesting. Her name was Julie. And Julie was a college sophomore in her first semester, her third total semester. She emailed her parents a note because she hadn't talked to them in a couple months. Dear mom and dad, I thought I'd drop you a little note and let you know what's going on in my life. I've fallen in love with a guy named Blaze. He's a really neat guy, but he quit high school a few years ago to get married. That didn't work out, so he got a divorce last month. We've been dating for several weeks now. We're thinking about getting married later in the winter. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment. Since Blaze has had a hard time finding a job, I dropped out of college last week so I could help support Blaze. I hope to finish college long after we have kids. Love, Julie. Think about that if you got that in an email. Five minutes later, another email came. Mom, Dad, I just want to let you know that everything I wrote on the first one is a lie. It's all false. But it is true I got a C in French and a D in calculus, and I need 500 bucks. <laughs> $3,000 was Venmoed within 10 minutes. <laughs> Perspective, right? Perspective. This is the first guy I was telling you about, Tim. Stage four cancer. His name's Tim Kite. Tim Kite was teaching a class in his, in his evangelical church in Ohio 30 years ago, an adult class. And he had James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. He put a bridge to Romans 12, 2, and in a very, I think, prophetic way, came up with an equation for his life. E plus R equals O. If everybody could write that down, this is so important. E plus R equals O. E is the experience, the events of your life. You have no control over that. No control. But you do have control of the response, the R, of your life. And that will produce a bigger outcome. In his life, he's got cancer. His response is, I'm going to make this a glorifying event for God. And the outcome is, he has a platform that's making a huge difference in life. Let's give me another example. You're driving, hypothetically, on the belt lane at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning. And somebody cuts you off. I said it's hypothetical. Never will happen, right? <laughs> And your response to that, that, you can't do anything about that event, but the response to that, you could get all mad, you honk the horn, you say some words you shouldn't, or you wave or something at them. You could do all that. But then you're, you're bottled up, you're ticked off. By the time you get to the office, you're, you're telling your coworkers that. You're, you're frustrated probably until about 9.30, 10 o'clock. Bad outcome. I mean this. You stop, you pray for that person, you keep driving. My whole life has changed because of this formula. And I know that it was inspired by God Almighty because I know who Tim Kite is. It's an incredible way 
Life will challenge you, but what matters most is how you respond. He's a very famous speaker because of that equation. You have some responses in your life. For negative, it says, do not grumble, complain, swear, groan, blame. It's not good. Soon when you do that, there'll be a bubble that comes out from your mouth because it's been bottled up all that time. It's so hard to resist that temptation to always complain, isn't it? And we always hurt people. We have life groups around here. Just think if it was a discouragement group or a complaint group, how much that would really suck the life right out of you and you wouldn't want to go. And I believe one of the destructive things that Satan does is to cause division between Christians through grumbling, complaining, fighting, arguing, and quarreling with each other. In verse 12, it says that James not saying not to swear, not to use false oath. Don't let outside pressure push you into vindictive and slanderous words. We must be careful that we don't do that. In verse, and in verse 9, you don't want to be judged because the perfect judge is standing there waiting. He's warning us that blaming and criticizing, attacking one another from the suffering and the pain of our lives will place us in danger of the judgment of Christ. Now, that's not the judgment. I want to be very clear. That's not the judgment in relation to your salvation. Rather, the judgment in relation to the rewards in heaven. That will provide us great strength and the great perspective we need to focus on God Almighty. Second one is hope. The hope. The Lord's coming is near. Two references about the Lord's coming. The personal return of Jesus Christ to meet him someday. We just talked about that. How many verses are pointing us in that direction? That's where the word of God reminds us. That's the the picture of all the yuck, the inconvenience, that reminds us he's creating a beautiful structure. And sometimes suffering is a part of that. We need to stand in that hope. We need to focus on that hope. I can think of no better, uh, no better illustration than Fanny J. Crosby. Blind all of her 95 years on this earth. Lived in the 1800s. She wrote at the age of eight, Oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I am determined in this world content that I will be. For so many blessings that I enjoy that other people don't, to weep and to sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. In Bridgeport, Connecticut, she's buried. And in the cemetery, it says the word Aunt Fanny on it and words you sang this morning. By the hope of the return of Jesus Christ. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. There's your hope. There's your hope. And last but not least, the endurance, perseverance, and trust. It's the attitude that refuses to break within that suffering. The active determination of a true believer whose faith is in the sovereignty of God. They talk about Job, and I don't have time to go deep into Job, but I will tell you this. Read that sometime when you're thinking your day is bad. I just can't even imagine all the things that he had to go through. He still endured and persevered. He never bailed out on God. God Almighty is building a strong foundation in your life that when the scriptures give us glimpses of that finished product, to trust God, his character, but also the method in which he chooses. I just say with this one, with, with Job, let's just say that this Tuesday, you lost everything. Your family, your car, your bank account, your 401k, your house. 
It was all taken away. And on Thursday, he got it all back. Don't you think Thursday would be the best day of your life? That's the perspective. We take so much for granted. If he's writing, a, James is writing a story about our life. Once in a while, there's a minor chord, isn't there? And that song still has to be sung because that's your legacy. That's your legacy. So our testimony. Our yes should be yes, it says. Our yes should be yes. And our no should be no. That's so convicting to me. Because I don't believe that people are coming to church, non-believers are coming to churches anymore to hear a sermon, especially not mine. What they're doing is they're looking for how you live differently on Monday through Saturday. That your yes is your yes, and your no is your no. I need to remember this, that there's a risk a risk to following an all-righteous Lord in a very unrighteous world. There's a risk to sitting loose on the things that society grasps so tightly. There's a risk to being spiritual in a society that's very secular. I'm afraid that some of us, especially me, sometimes want to follow a stigmatized Christ without the stigma. We want to follow a suffering Christ without suffering. We want to follow a patient Christ without being patient. We want to follow a persecuted Christ without persecution. We want to follow an unpopular Christ without being unpopular and a rejected Christ without being sometimes Rejected. My heartbeat, my conviction, as I read this chapter, I always want to stand true to the Word of God. Not because of popularity, but because of obedience. That will herald forth the call of obedience to this scripture and never equivocate, never back down, never apologize, but always hold true to what's here, having trust that that beautiful building that he's constructing within you will be great from his side. Not with an outward show, not with anything we can construct or manufacture, but having yourself on your knees on Almighty God saying, use me. Let my yes be yes. Let by no be no. Unfortunately, we have a struggle with that. I have a struggle with that. Monday through Saturday. You see, I, I believe the greatest evangelical tool we have is our vocation and our neighbors, and our family. You're not just a teacher. You're not just an architect. You're not just an accountant, or a custodian, or a plumber. If you're a teacher, you're not just a teacher. You're God's re representation of Jesus Christ in the education field, so that when people around you, parents, other teachers, and students look at you, they see Christ in the classroom. Plumber, you're not just a plumber. You're a representation of Jesus Christ in the water industry, so that when other people, customers and other co-workers see you, they see Jesus Christ and what he would do if he's constructing pipes and fixing them. If you're a parent, you're not just a parent, you're a representation of Jesus Christ in the family so that when people in your house, whether it's kids or people that stay, they'll see what Jesus Christ looks like when he leads a family. Architect. Accountant. Custodian, it doesn't matter. You're God's representation. And that testimony speaks volumes. And that will help you through the life in patience and perseverance. He was a young pastor. In his mid-20s, just got out of seminary, serving in his first church. 
He was impatient, had a huge temper, and he was suffering. He would have been lost had he not met a woman by the name of Grandma Sudley. She gave him life. She taught him how to persevere. So let me tell you their story as if it were my very own. When I wanted to get away from problems and the complaints of the congregation, I pretend to visit shut-ins. But in reality, I was just going to be with my friend. How are your enemies? She would ask me. They're still after me, Grandma. This church is hard. I'm not after you, she'd say. She'd always ask me to pray for her, even though we both knew she prayed more powerfully and more frequently than I'd ever did. But it was her way of affirming me, letting me know that she needed me. Then came the day when the news was out. Grandma was dying. I was losing my greatest friend, my greatest encouragement to me. I went to the hospital waiting room. The family was all clutched together. The nurse came and said, she'll see you now, pastor. Me, I asked. Well, you're the pastor, aren't you? I I had to go. I felt so alone, so inadequate, so, so sad. There she lay with tubes in her nose and others in her arms, and all I could say was, God, help me. I prayed she would not wake up, but she soon stirred and looked me and straight in the eye. How are your enemies? I tried to smile. As I held her hand, it was, it was soft and at the same time very bony and brittle. I guess I'm going to leave here now, Pastor. I know, I said. I'm very tired. I know. You see, Pastor, I've never died before. And I admitted that I'd never been with anyone who had died before. Please listen to me while I pray. She knew I could not pray at that moment. Dear God, take me home to be with Jesus and protect this pastor of mine. He's been good to me, meant so much to me. Be with him wherever I, he goes. Amen. I was crying. She said, it's okay, Pastor. It's, it's going to be okay. You tell the people out there that we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I'll tell them, Grandma. I'll tell them. She closed her eyes and she <laughs> fell asleep. That's the last time I ever saw her alive. Sometimes when I'm out there in the country, at a cemetery, 
It's hot. I should be getting home to my family or an appointment. I still stop the car. And I thank God Almighty for a woman who trusted her creator God so completely, who loved her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so completely that she could make a pastor out of me. As I look over the hill upon her grave, the the tears just well up in my eyes and they roll down my face. And I whisper to her the last words she ever said to me. We're going to make it. Grandma, we're going to make it. Grandma suddenly made it. And that young pastor has now served for seven decades in churches all across America and even has stint as a president of a theological seminary. I'm quite sure he's made it too because he learned how to patiently persevere through her yes when it was yes and no when it was no. Your testimony, my friends, is absolutely crucial for the kingdom of God, that evangelical churches all across America need to remember that, that the second coming is upon us. We need to be ready, and that is our hope. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the hope. We're going to make it. Dear brothers and sisters, despite suffering and pain, we're going to make it. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your scripture. I just thank you for the attention in this room. The Holy Spirit is working. I thank you that I am nothing without that scripture. And I have no hope without that scripture. And my life, I just pray that it would reflect that. Father, thank you for these people who I love dearly, walked through life with them for a long, long time, cried with them. I'm so grateful that we got to look at Scripture together. Bless them. Help me to be the kind of man that you want me to be, and all my friends as well. We just want to serve you from Monday through Saturday and come back next week ready. Bless our time. In Christ alone is all we can ask. That's all we need. We ask that we might think about that as we sing. In your son's name we pray. Amen.